Saturday. And I will not repeat my comments about last Saturday. I don't know. There's like, yeah, that's not, that's not really like a good aesthetic right there. I got another pair of headphones and this pair of headphones is like showing up on that side. Okay. There you go. That looks better. I have a book right there. Okay. Yeah. So this is a Q and a remember as always, uh, I do give priority to super chats and then I give priority to, YouTube members, so if you click that join button down below, you can get the Thomista Giga Chad next to your name. Very coveted. And then lastly, I will just answer all of the other questions that I possibly can. Hello, King. And then since I was uh, eight or nine minutes late, I think I was eight minutes late to this stream, it will not surprise me if nobody is here. But if nobody is here, then it's great because I can just talk about what I want. So first, I got myself a new, you know, the other wimpy water bottle I had. I, I really liked it. My sister got it for me for Christmas and I really enjoy it. And I definitely will use it if I need to go, go like out of the house. But the one thing is there's something wrong with the lid. The lid just wasn't, uh, wasn't working the best. So it's not like an everyday sort of water bottle. So I got, well, really I, I already had, but I went to the, um, went to the garage where we had this, but my normal, uh, gallon. So yeah, so I've been, I've replaced it with this thing. So if I drink this every single day, I'm going to be very well hydrated because I mean, I'm a big guy. Most people don't know this. I'm like six foot two, very tall. So I need a lot of water to keep me going. So this amount, I needed like two of these. And, you know, it's kind of cool because it has the, uh, it has like the hour markers on here. So I kind of like that. But, you know, I will have to sacrifice that and just use that as not my everyday carry in order that I can have the glories of more space and a lid that works a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> the thirst is real. Average thirst in online trad calf on Twitter. Okay, so let's see what we got so far. That kidney damage, though. What do you mean that kidney damage? You get kidney damage from drinking too much water? Um, okay. Lead to kidney stones and chronic kidney disease. Ooh. 
Yikes. How much is too much water? Okay. This is this is important stuff you guys need to know. How much is too much water? Let's see. Okay. 20 to 28 liters per day. Dude, I'm not sure. <laughs> Wait, how much how much is 28 liters in in gallons? Bro, I'm not drinking seven and a half gallons of water a day. <laughs> no, bro. Okay. Let us begin. How often do you lift weights for the kingdom of God? I've went, so it all depends on what season of life I'm in. I mean, sometimes you want, sometimes you want like the just bro split, like six days a week, like obviously off on our Lord's day, just, just getting at it. And I feel like the times that I've done that, I felt better about myself. You know, it, it just feels like, you know, more. But I don't think it actually helps like too, too much in the long run. But the the upper lower uh, sort of split or push pull, depending on uh, depending on who your who your guy is, because I just get uh, Eric redacted. His brother's a personal trainer, so he usually consults me. So different different points of uh, points of life. You can either do two. You can do every day. Uh, it, all that matters is that you're just doing it. That's just, that's what matters. It's really going to make a minimal difference uh, if you have the best plan ever and you never lift. Even if you have a terrible plan, if you're still lifting, it's better than nothing. So unless you're like lifting like five times a day and then just like absolutely disintegrating your muscles, then no, that's probably worse than nothing. Okay, so good book for beginners wanting to understand all the scholastic terminology Aquinas has. Okay, um, this isn't, I guess I kind of guess I can announce this now, but right now I will, I guess I'll share my screen. Nah, I won't share my screen because it's not really up, but right now. I am in the process of doing a series of courses on scholastic philosophy. I am just about finished. I'll probably finish today and it will be up by next week. The course on logic. So uh, look forward to that. So uh, that that's helpful because I have uh, father Copen's textbook that I have with it. And then I also have um, a catechism that I've written on philosophy so that'll give you a, a very holistic sort of uh, knowledge of the various aspects of scholastic philosophy in a begin very beginner mode. I keep it very simple, and Father Copens keeps it very simple. So that that's enough um, to to be able to read Aquinas because Aquinas we think he's like super duper. Well, at least we, not me, but you guys think he's super duper difficult. Like, oh no, I'm going to. I'm going to die because of how hard Aquinas's uh, language is when it comes to philosophy. But actually, he's being very simple. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen any um, any categories beyond that he brings up beyond like high school undergrad sort of uh, level 
uh, concepts. It's it's nothing like that takes a genius to be able to understand. It's just that we have not been taught scholastic logic, scholastic philosophy, unfortunately. So it's very difficult for us to assimilate into that view. Yes, and there's two more things I needed to tell you. Absolutely forgot. Okay, I'm going to make my way over to Amazon real quick. And... You all know Father Woodbury, beloved disciple of Father Reginald Marie Garrigou Lagrange. Well, he has a book. Oh, I need to. He has a book on sanctifying grace. And it's about, I want to say, what, what does it say on here? How many pages? This is 34 pages, but the print version is like 45, 50 pages. So it's a pretty, pretty short read. Uh, it's it, it could be read um, maybe an afternoon or two. But it's it's on sanctifying grace. Very good. Like it kind of teaches a Catholic Thomistic view of theosis and gives really good uh, illustration for that view. Uh, brings in some of the some of the doctrine of God behind it. So very very good stuff. Uh, so definitely check out sanctifying grace by Father Austin Woodbury, and also it, it helps me out. And then second, I have for you. Unplugged. Let's see. Is my mic back? Yes, it's back. Okay, so I have like a billion different books under my desk right now that I do not read, and I want to get rid of them. So if anybody is interested, then let me know. And if you just want to buy all of them all at once, I will give you a bundle price. Because you may think, wow, MT, you're giving away all of your worst books. Well, I tell you, I'm not giving away all of my worst books. Here, we have all three volumes of Father Hunter's Outlines of Dogmatic Theology. We have not one, not two, but three volumes of St. Robert Bellarmine's Controversies. On the Sacraments in General, Baptism Confirmation, on the Roman Pontiff, on the Church, Volume 1. We have the Glossa on Romans. We have the English Gradual. We have Quodlibital Questions on Free Will. Sorry, I don't know why I was not able to say that. We have Leonidas of Byzantium's Christological Works. We have another work by Father Hunter. We have uh, Severus of Antioch. We have uh, a work by uh, St. Liguori. We have a volume of Scotus's Ordinatio. We have a lot of good stuff right here. Big old stack of books. I don't know if somebody just throws an offer out there for me during this stream for uh, the entirety of them, then I'll probably give them to you because I'm tired of, of having these books that I don't use because I have digital copies of them. So that is, that is all for the commercial breaks now into the main show. Militant Thomas, more like Militant King. Oh, yeah, I need to go down. Did anybody uh, say? Oh, yeah, today's his feast day. Yes, today is for Robert Bill. $20 for all those books, dude? $20 is like half of what I paid for one volume of Bellarmine, dude. Come on now. Get out of here. 
Wow. If you lo- lift warrior gains. Wow. Wow. Okay, you didn't answer me on Discord. I'll ask if Mary is gra- uh, mother of God, is Mary's mother, St. Anne, the grandmother of God? How do I respond to this objection? Well, yeah. Yeah, Mary would be. Yeah, St. Anne would be the grandmother of God. I wonder if if that has been... I did think about that one time for like 15, 20 minutes about the whole grandmother of God thing. And I forgot to look up whether anybody actually call saint anne i think i've heard like grandmother of our lord yes god's grandmother grandmother of god saint anne yes yes <laughs> oh man i just ran into the most cursed cursed thing ever you you made me look this up and look what i ran into oh my goodness grandmother god one of the since first working at uh, something, 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 something. Um, Jesus is grandmother. One of my images for God is that of a grandmother, the wise old native woman with gray hair and eyes as ancient as the earth. She takes my faith gently into her hand and holds me in her gaze, and she tells me what she thinks I need to know, forming the words slowly that I can remember them and let them sit in. Come on, dude, that's kind of... Kind of good, bro. That's cringe. You've posted cringe. Okay, this is Kyle ratified. Oh, thanks be to God. Uh, does the church have the authority to shift Sabbath to Sunday? Yes, the church does have the authority to do that. Uh, not really. So actually, this is a good question because uh, I, I did I have thought about this before, but the the thing I would like to bring up is when you look at the reasoning behind placing the Sabbath in the old covenant on Saturday, what is the reason you get in Genesis and then also in the Exodus account. So both in the Genesis and Exodus account, well, in the Genesis account of the Sabbath and the Exodus account of the 10 commandments, the reasoning for both of those, and I might be mixing this up, but it's fine. The reasoning for both of those is the creation of the world. And then you go where the Ten Commandments is repeated again in Deuteronomy 5. I think it's it's Exodus 20, then Deuteronomy 5. So if you look at Deuteronomy 5, where the Ten Commandments are repeated a second time, what is the reason for that? Well, the reason for that has to do with their redemption in the Exodus. So the basis for our rest, uh, the, the old covenant people of God resting on Saturday was because of creation and redemption happening on that day. Now, in the New Covenant, what day does creation and redemption happen for us? It happens with the resurrection of Christ, the beginning of the new creation on Sunday. So I don't think the the church's, the church's establishment of the, sa- of the Sabbath on Sunday was something which was a matter of their authority choosing something. I think it might be more of a recognition. I know the theologians probably have debated this topic. But I'm just kind of shooting from the hip right now. So if if the theologians say something differently than me, then discard what I, all of all of what I just said. So I think it's more of a a recognition thing with with the Sabbath. Wait, what? Wait, Kyle got banned. Wait, the Sabbath is always on Saturday and always will be. No, no, you're wrong. Debunked. Debunked. Where is? 
I probably have it around here somewhere. My copy, no, I wasn't going to sell this. My copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Let's see what it says under the, oh my, almost opened directly up to the fourth commandment. Oh wait, I forgot. This is the Catholic numbering. It's the third commandment. I always mix them up. Anglican moment, Anglican moment. Okay, so here, here is their in brief section right here. This thing's huge. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Sabbath, which represented the completion of the first creation, has been replaced by Sunday, which recalls the new creation inaugurated by the resurrection of Christ. See? The church celebrates the day of Christ's resurrection on the eighth day, Sunday, which is rightly called the Lord's Day. Sunday is to be observed as the foremost holy day of obligation in the universal church. On Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to participate in Mass. On Sunday and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound uh, to abstain from those labors and business concerns which impede the worship to be rendered to God, the joy which is proper to the Lord's Day, or proper relaxation of mind and body. The institution of Sunday helps all to be allowed sufficient rest and leisure to cultivate their familial, cultural, and social religious lives. Every Christian should avoid making unnecessary demands on others that would hinder them from observing the Lord's Day. So, again, for uh, third commandment is about Sunday. So, debunked. The Sabbath is now Sunday. And really, you know, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and don't hate me for this, I think it's actually a bit, uh, a bit nice. I like it. Uh, some of the like some of the beauty behind it, the depths of expression and stuff like that. I don't think it's a good catechetical text, but I think it's a really good theological work. I think I'm going to start having like a like a read a, a yearly reading plan of the catechism that I'm going to start doing just to make sure I'm always reading through the catechism because it's important uh, to to keep to keep up with the um, the teaching authority of the church. Okay, what did you read apart from St. Thomas to become knowledgeable on the Trinity and the Incarnation? Where is my uh, provisional book list? Or should I just name them all from memory? Okay. It is opening. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw a lot, of, a lot of book names at you. Uh, no, that's my books on logic. Okay. Man. I need to, won't make it bigger for me. Okay, so uh, Father Lagrange's commentary in the Summa is one, the Sacred Theologia Summa, uh, 2A, on the one in Triune Gods, another Lonergan's um, De Trinitate Pars Dogmatica et uh, Pars Systematica. Those two are really good. Um, Pohl's volume on the Trinity is really good. Hall's volume on the Trinity is really good. Um, I'm trying to think about it. Hunter. His section on the Trinity is really good. The the really good uh, Copen Copen's his like tiny. Uh, well, his his one volume systematic, like the the fifteen twenty pages that he spends on the Trinity is just masterful. It's just a masterful summary. I would never give anything besides that as a as a summary when it comes to Trinitarian doctrine. If I had like thirty minutes with somebody and I just had to talk about the Trinity, I'd probably just read that section. It's really good. Um, let me think Hunter Wilhelm in his, uh, Sheben's dogmatique, uh, Nicolas, his volume on the Trinity is really good. Uh, Sheben, Sheben's volume on the Trinity is really good. Um, 
I think that's it. I think I think that is my uh, uh, all of the. And then if you want to like jump into Latin, like the uh, the classic good one is Frangelin and his um, De Deutrino. Yeah, that's it. His De Deutrino is really good. So that is all of the. Oh, and then the incarnation, the incarnation too. Um, I haven't read as much on the incarnation actually as I have on the Trinity, but for me, uh, and then, oh, with, uh, with the Trinity for primary source text, obviously, uh, you should be reading St. Augustine's, uh, De Trinitate. That's the primary source text that you should be reading. And then for the incarnation, the primary source text to read is St. Cyril's, um, on the unity of Christ. That that's what it is. I wrote a wrote a paper on it. I think almost exactly two years ago today is when I published my first article on Apologia Anglicana. So, and that was that work on uh, Saint Cyril's uh, view of Christology, and uh, the Tertia Pars and the Summa is really good. Um, obviously, Father Lagrange's commentary on the Summa, Poles volume. I I didn't find anything bad on it. Um, just pretty vanilla. The SDS is also, uh, the, the sacred theologia summa also has a good, uh, section on the incarnation. Yeah. i I just haven't read as much. So I can't lift off, list off as many, uh, books when it comes to the incarnation. Okay. So have I written a dissertation before? I actually have not, I've not written a dissertation. Uh, will I ever, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking to, uh, get my doctoral. Okay. So, uh, now we need to be mods on a reason and theology. You think, you think it's too late for Michael to let me be a mod on reason and theology? Oh, you know, what's you know, it's great. Uh, the meme I just posted, the um, the one with Taylor Marshall and Michael Lofton. Oh, that's so funny. I hope they don't take offense to it. It's If somebody made a meme like that of me, I would think it would be very funny, you know? Oh, wait. I need to share my screen right now. Look at that. Little guy. Little guy was cooking up in the kitchen earlier. Look, only nine of you like this. Pathetic. I'm retweeting it. All of you should like it. One like equals one Augustine smile. Okay. Q&A. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. The whole Ubi Petrus demanding that I debate him on the filioque and then uh, doing that. Okay. Where is the, the Michael Lofton thing? Oh, there it is. I'm I'm a kid for real with you, mom. Man, it kind of seems like you're out with you. I come to charity and truth is a bunch of fun. Never take kind of sound. We've done it. Uh. 
<laughs> I just can't. I just can't get over that meme. It's such a good one. It's such a funny meme. I just can't. I just can't get over it. Okay, starting RCIA soon. I can be confirmed this Easter. Thanks be to God. Your content has been very helpful, King. Been reading the Catechism with the giant book of references, and I'm surprised at how much I didn't know. Yeah, it is. Uh, you you'd be surprised. I always a constant practice of mine is you have to both have the the trees and you got to have the forest in view. So even even while I'm studying something very particularly, like right now I'm studying uh, on grace very particularly. I've been doing a lot of reading into the tract on grace. I always have a little bit of time each day, uh, usually, I don't know, 45 minutes. And I've also been reading a lot on the filioque too. I guess those are like my two trees that I'm staring at right now. But always I have a manual that I'm reading through maybe 30, 45 minutes a day. Usually while I'm, while I'm eating lunch, I'll be reading through it. But yeah, you always have to make sure you're, you, you have that book for most people it'd just be the catechism that they're constantly reading through because you're going to miss, uh, miss things every single time. It's only going to take you a few minutes a day. So while you're studying very particularly something, and it's the same way with scripture, uh, that's something that we always used to uh, be recommended is when reading scripture, you have to have uh, that your sort of yearly Bible reading uh, plan that everybody should be doing. All of you should have a yearly Bible reading plan that you're doing. You should always have that, and then you should always have like that that book that you might be studying pretty deeply and reading a commentary on. Uh, so you should always you should always be staring at the tree and then also looking throughout the forest. And then for me, that's actually been the Book of Wisdom recently. I've been I've been reading uh, very carefully in the Book of Wisdom, and I've been getting a lot of good stuff from it. So, yeah, I guess that's my unwanted advice. 20 dollars i oh my gosh 20 dollars so why is communism so evil well that is a a great question let me i know I'm trying to make this bigger i know father copens actually has a section where he debunks a communism. So let me, and it has to do with property rights. The fact that property rights are something which are, are natural. Okay. Will I ever be able to find it? Who knows? You know, I'm just going to look communism. Ah, there you go. Communism, page 176, 179. Oh, here you go. Wow, this is really helpful. Let me let me just copy and paste this section to a Word document so I can share it with you. Because right now I have, I'm reading it digitally. So, wow, this is really helpful. <laughs> Communism and socialism are both evil. See, I knew he covered it. I knew it. Okay. Boom. Make it big. And then let me share my screen. 
See, the, these are the good answers you guys come to. Because you, 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 you participate in the process of me finding all of these resources for you. Okay, communism and socialism are unjust and injurious. Explanation. Communism denies the right of private ownership and declares that all property is by nature positively common. Socialism demands that all productive property should be given over to the state, which would thus become sole proprietor of land, manufactories, railroads, etc., and sole distributor of the compensation due to every individual member of the Commonwealth for his labor. Now, we maintain that communism and socialism, if introduced as general systems in the present order of things, would be unjust and injurious. Proof. The fundamental principle of communism is false, namely that by nature all goods were intended for mankind to be positively common so that no one could justly appropriate for himself anything beyond immediate pressing wants without the consent of the other members of the community. The absurdity of this view is manifest from the unnatural dependence in which man would be thereby placed. Another false principle made use of by both systems is the absolute and entire equality of all men exactly false in the abstract and before the law so this would be considered what's called antecedently or simplicator all men are said to be equal but in the concrete no two men are exactly equal and this it would be um consequently or uh secundum quid no two men have equal powers of body and mind, equal abilities for government or trade, the same tastes and dispositions, even the same rational wants. Both systems would begin by depriving men of the fruit of past labors. Both would confiscate the earnings of one man for the benefit of others without compensation, thus violating a great natural right. Moreover, it is impossible for either system judged on economic grounds to last or to attain even a fraction of the fanciful plenty so freely promised by its advocates. The latter seems to base their calculations on the uh, utopian dream that in their new communistic or socialistic republic, men shall lose their selfishness and be freed from their passions and will freely practice heroic self-denial and self-forgetfulness. That, in other words, men should be transformed into angels. Yet these same leaders generally ignore or repudiate religion, the wellspring of self-sacrifice, and the aim at sweeping away the rights of church and family. And notice, this was actually written before the Soviet Union came to be. So before the Communist Revolution of 1917. Yeah, so that's your answer. It's interesting how prophetic he is. There's, there's a lady with a store next to my health, house who's an angelic goddess, similar energy. So I'm infiltrating reason and theology like a true Jesuit. So true. Oh, I thought Father Pine is doing Catechism in Erie. He is. No, 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 no. Is it Fa Father Pine is doing, what is it? I'm a retard. Um, Imitation of Christ in the Year. That's what he's doing. And it's going to be so good. I can't wait to listen to that every day. That's going to be glorious. Yes, Father Mike Schmitz, he's doing the Catechism in the Year. Yep. Uh, 
the Syriac schoolman, does the patristic consensus justify slavery? It depends on what you mean by slavery, because, and I think I saw that you had emailed me, uh, and I, I did respond. I promise I occasionally will respond to emails and uh, DMs. Very sorry, I don't resp- reply to like 90% of you. I get a lot of them. But yes, when it comes to the patristic consensus, the consensus of the medievals, the consensus of the philosophers, slavery isn't intrinsically evil. Now, we have to gloss our terms a little bit. By slavery, we don't mean American chattel slavery. We don't mean the owning of one person by another person. We do not mean that. We mean the owning of another's labor, not necessarily the owning of their person. And it's not something which is uh, complete uh, ownership over body like there would be in American chattel slavery. So how we would think of as indentured servitude. So for slavery, gloss indentured servitude. And then uh, justify slavery, justify that it's licit. Uh, I would concede that, but justify that it's something ideal and that it's not to be uh, eventually abolished in ideal circumstances. I would deny that because uh, they, they don't speak really about that. Uh, some of them, I think St. Gregory of Nazianzus actually talks about how they should eventually abolish slavery. It's like one of the first people in history to talk about it. But yes, the church has always taught that, yeah, it's something that we that, that's licit. We keep it, but eventually we should um, rid ourselves of it. Father Pine needs to make a video with you. It will be super based. Uh, we already did make a video together. We actually had a chill stream. Many people do not know about the Father Pine uh, Militant Thomas stream. Let me look. Gregory Pine Wagner. Yeah, it says on prudence with Father Gregory Pine. It's not on prudence. (laughs) For like the first like three minutes, we thought about it being on prudence. And then we're like, nah, we just kind of want to chill and chat. Yeah, I I need to. I just emailed him the other day uh, a question. I need to. um, He actually was my confirmation sponsor, interestingly enough. Um, I need to reach out to him again to do something like that. That'd be fun. I can't explain myself. Cries in a hole. Uh, Taylor Marshall, Michael Lofton have a history of having light skin when it comes to memes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes more sense why he he was not too happy with me. That makes a lot more sense. My wife has been my wife has been uh like the last you guys probably noticed because of of uh, of some differences with my posting she's been uh, doing all my social media in like she does q a clips and she q a clips everything i used to q a clip maybe like a third of them kind of like uh, i don't i don't like that one she's like q a clipping like everything we got she q a clipped why i'm not eastern orthodox that was kind of a savage move because i always talk about how i don't like talking about that uh i just noticed that Here comes the news, prof. This is madness. <laughs> See? I knew you guys would like that. Ooh. What is the Catholic position on downloading things like ebooks, which one can find online? 
Yeesh. Uh, it, it comes down. So I think one can safely argue that intellectual property doesn't exist throughout the entire history of ecclesiastical writers. Um, that has been relatively obvious. But there's a question because there are laws against this sort of thing. So does merely positive laws, which means laws that are merely um, do not have basis in natural law, do those bind? Like if the government said, go out and, I don't know, uh, take a cup of water and pour a drop of water on your foot every single day at 3 p.m., would that be something that would bind? Because there's no natural law backing for it. And I am, I'm not exactly, not exactly sure. I, I tend to say no. Uh, that is, that is my uh, general um, way of thinking about it. Okay. Oh, this is the one everybody's been asking. So do you know Latin? So why did you get your profile port wrong? For profile pick wrong. LOL. Yeah. So I made, if you guys remember all the way back in the beginning of Apologia Anglicana. So two years ago, two years ago, I had, uh, I had made that profile pick, but with John Henry Newman in the middle, that was the original Apologia Anglicana profile pick. And I had been, um, I had been, I, I think I probably just copy and pasted the phrase, but I accidentally did it wrong. And I didn't realize until I was done. And uh, th this was two years ago. I hadn't taken any classes in Latin then. I started taking Latin probably three or four months after that. I've been taking Latin for two years now. Um, and I'm not the best Latinist in the world, but I can I can get by. Um, I try to make sure I read uh, as much uh, in Latin as I can. I always do my readings of St. Thomas in Latin to practice. But... It was, it might've been like one week after I made it that somebody had noticed and DM'd me about it. And I was like, oh man, okay, that is, that is unfortunate, but it was so painful to make that image. It took me forever to make it that eventually I was like, okay, whatever. I already made the temp. I made a template with like no face in the middle, just in case I want to change the face and the one with John Henry Newman in the middle. And I just gave up. I was like, you know, people aren't going to notice. It's like really, really tiny. But finally, uh, and occasionally every every few months, I'll get somebody who uh, who will DM me and say, it. finally, there was a jerk who doesn't like me, who decided rather than just like DMing me and be like, hey, man, what's up? And then I explain it to him like, yeah, it's, it's just uh, I made a mistake. Uh, he decides to post it and be like, Christian Wagner's an idiot. He doesn't know anything. He's stupid. And yeah, so that that's, that's basically all it was. And then uh, somebody graciously uh, made me made me a fixed version of it. Let me see if I can, can pull it up. Uh, I'm so I'm such a boomer. Okay. Yes, this is this is the fixed version of it. Yes. So the M right there. 
that was it was tra- it was a tragic day in the life of in the life of uh, my apostolate. So, what's my lowest offer? Uh, uh, I don't know. That's like, let me think. It's probably like two hundred fifty dollars worth of books there. Uh one fifty. Yeah, one fifty. Yeah, I won't defend crime, but physical copies of monographs and other academic scholarship can reach the triple digits. What I usually ask myself, my my general uh, my general game in this to to see whether I want to or not, is would the author want me to read this work by them? Like if I if I could, because a lot of the authors are dead. Like there's a lot of stuff from like the '60s and 70s, like C.S. Lewis like type stuff, uh, like '60s and '70s. Um, work that I want to read that's actually uh, out of print and everything. And it's actually not public domain yet. Like what, what the heck do I do? So if I, if I was able to email the author today and ask for a PDF of their work, would they give it to me? And if the answer is yes, then I'm totally fine with it because most people would say like, if we could email one of these authors and they sent you a PDF, most of these people who are against copyright, well, who are uh, really for like a very strong view of copyright would say like, oh yeah, you could, you could get the book if the author sends you it, if it sends you the journal article or the book PDF or whatever. Most, most people would be fine with it. Um, but if they wouldn't, I mean, if they were uh, some sort of greedy guy, if they're, if they're just a random priest, most of them probably wouldn't care at all. Uh, they don't, they don't really care about money or anything. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's usually the way that I approach things is would the author care if I, uh, if I had a PDF of their work, because it's not like, because the thing with the reason why usury, the reason why usury is wrong. If anybody knows why the reason usury is wrong, the reason usury is wrong is because what you're doing is you are charging for the use of something and you're not charging for a certain product. Now, how does that how does that uh, kind of cross over to this issue? Because you're not really getting anything. This is different from renting because uh, the, you're actually um, because the person who is giving you that thing is actually losing some sort of value that needs to be made up monetarily. So like you're, you're not really getting um, They're not losing anything really. So that, that, that sort of, uh, I hope that made sense. That wasn't complicated. Is cheating in video games sinful? LOL. I, I don't think so. Um, I'd have to think about that because you get like St. Thomas, uh, they will make certain, certain uh, distinctions when it comes to like, if you're in a war, and you lie or trick somebody in a war, like, is it wrong? Well, no, it's not wrong. You're, you're in a war. Or if, like, you're, you're playing a football game and you do, I don't know, like a pump fake or something and uh, try to trick people into believing something that's not true. Is that, is that something which is sinful? Or do you have to, like, reveal clearly, like, your, your, your uh, plays in, in a game? No, of course not. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I go, I go back and forth morality of piracy that my my most 
my most uh, controversial opinion. I am 17 minutes behind on this. Maritan. Maritain. I've never heard anybody actually say his name in pub, uh, before, so I'm just assuming. Uh, I'm just guessing in pronunciation. But yeah, he was, and it makes me so sad because Gary Goulagrange talks about this, but he was actually commissioned to write a seven-volume uh, manual philosophy, and he only got into the um, volume on morals and the volume on formal logic. Uh, thoughts on reading the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy for Catholic theologians. I find the bibliographies useful. I normally uh, I, I normally find um, the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy to be pretty fair, to be honest. I mean, Catholic Encyclopedia is better, and I wish we had like an updated Catholic Encyclopedia that wasn't garbage like the one they like the update that they had. But yeah, 1917 is gold standard. But a lot of people they obviously don't cover and there's a lot of uh, more recent scholarship too so it can be useful i always make a distinction between american slavery and bible slavery yes that is the way of doing it okay so i am on quizlet studying for a test and i see flashcards that are identical with the quiz i am taking is it cheating if i use the flashcards for the test and is it a mortal sin um, I, I'm very confused. Like, so is it, is it like beforehand or is it like during the quiz? If it's like during the quiz, then yeah, that would be, that'd be cheating. And if it's a mortal sin, uh, I do not specifically know, actually, I've never ran into, um, any of the moral theologians talking about the specific um, gravity of it. So I have no idea, to be honest. Oh, you're getting some croissants. Good. Okay, so favorite Eastern father. I will take a drink before I answer this. And you know, I'm kind of upset because... My wife went to the store this week, and she forgot to get me a pack of Guinness. Can you believe that, boys? Okay, favorite Eastern father. I've always said, and I will always say, my favorite Eastern father is St. Cyril of Alexandria. He was a wonderful exegete in his commentary on John, for example. He was a wonderful theologian in his Christological works, such as um, That Christ is One or On the Unity of Christ or whatever you want the title to be. And he was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful churchman. He, he fought and used all of the political maneuvering he possibly could against the heretics, which I think is always glorious to see the heretics get owned by the political authorities. I absolutely love it. If you can use political maneuvering to, to uh, own the heretics, I'm absolutely for it. People like I, I once saw, and uh, this isn't like a, like a complaint about Michael Lofton uh, stream or anything like that, but I once saw him compare 
like Bugnini to to Saint Cyril of Alexandria, and it was it was gross. Like Saint Cyril of Alexandria, people people think he's bad, but he was an absolute Chad. I love Saint Cyril of Alexandria, Chad, Chad, Chad. Not like cringe Bugnini. Oh, we have one of my glorious YouTube members. Do you know of any good uh, any good works critiquing higher criticism of scripture and its assumptions? Okay, that is a good question. If you look in the what's called the Sacred Theologiae Summa, I've actually found its its section to be very helpful, and that's going to be on the reliability of of manuscripts is going to be volume 1a volume 1a uh, is really good where it talks about um, the reliability really of of the gospels the reliability of the book of acts and the reliability of uh, the passing down of scripture so oh yeah i've been meaning to read this scott hans uh politicizing the Bible. I've been meaning to read this. I want to. Okay, so before you mentioned that there are some uh, similar similarities between Protestantism and Pelagianism, I'm going to put my chair back. Ooh. This is, I could be a true, uh, true YouTube, uh, but it's hard to reach my screen. That's nah, whatever. So I will reread this. Before you mentioned that Okay, take three. Before you mentioned that there are similarities between Protestantism and Pelagianism, could you expand on that? So the similarities is found in the idea of what's called nature, the nature and grace distinction. So for a Catholic, what we're going to say is that there are, generally speaking, three realms. So there's first the realm of nature. So the realm of nature is going to be the needs and uh, the desires and the abilities, really what's called the exigencies of a certain nature. So the exigencies of human nature, it would be that we need, uh, that we need food, we desire, uh, we desire sexual relations. Uh, those, those are things which are natural to us. Uh, such things as mortality is actually something natural uh, to uh, humanity because we're a composition of body and soul. So we're mortal by nature. Now, there's also the second category of what's called uh, preternatural. So with the preternatural category, it has to do with things that are above an individual's nature, but below, uh, but still within the reach of nature. So below God, but above us, basically. So for a tree, it might be rational thinking. For a human, it might be uh, immortality or freedom from... Uh, concupiscence or something like that because angels have certain abilities that we do not have those would be preternatural for us natural for them and then third there's what's called strictly supernatural so strictly supernatural is not only above human nature not only above angelic nature but above all nature actual and possible now what does this have to do with protestantism 
Well, what it has to do with Protestantism is what they have in the garden is what's called the covenant of works. So in the covenant of works on the, on the condition of personal and perpetual obedience, there would be the reward of eternal life. Now, what is the issue with that? The issue with that is that personal and perpetual obedience or basically what they're describing as sinlessness is not enough for something to be supernatural. In order for something to be supernatural, uh, the beatific vision, for example, we need to be raised above human nature. We need to participate in the divine nature in order to uh, in order to become divinized uh, in the beatific vision, in the beatific life, not just sinlessness. So broadly speaking, Protestants, they're going to view uh, race, grace as restorative. So something bringing us back to a natural condition. So we, we start out here, fall, continue here, and then grace, boom, we're back on the level of nature. And then obviously um, there's going to be doom. Uh, to be a different vision. But for us Catholics, we start up here, fall back to nature, and then a little bit of corruption too, kind of like slowly, doo -doo -doo, kind of a little below there. And then grace not only restores, but elevates. So grace elevates nature. Grace doesn't only restore nature to something which is strictly supernatural. So it's not, you can't even think of it like a tending up, but it's like a boom, a jump completely uh, from one level to a different level. It's like going from two dimensions to three dimensions. So I hope that's helpful. This is kind of annoying. Uh, maybe if I moved my... There you go. Is that better? Mm. I don't know. Uh, do you think Roman Catholicism is going to become the biggest religion in America with the crumbling of evangelicalism? It depends. Uh, I think if if we are... I think if we keep going on the trend that we are going, because I actually do see a lot of positives. Most people are blackpilled about the, the Catholic Church in America. I do see a lot of positives. So I am I am white, firmly white billed. Ye. How do you explain non Catholic doctors of the church? I don't want to explain that. Somebody already asked me above about that. So which theologians would win a Fortnite match against other theologians? Um, never. I, I think I played like two games of Fortnite, but I don't really know the whole the whole logic behind Fortnite. So, so does human does concupiscence belong? Oh wait, I am all the way down to the end of our question, so I might be able to answer all of our questions. So, get them in there if you uh, if if you need. I should probably stop with a Zoomer language. The word yeet is kind of cringe. <laughs> yes, I, I recognize the irony of calling um, yeet cringe because it's Zoomer language. This cringe is also Zoomer language. Okay. I need to take a big drink of water before... Uh,
does concupiscence belong to human nature? Yes, it does. Because all concupiscence is, is the, a, a possible disorder uh, that can occur through our passions arising in us. Like you just get a really sharp hunger. It doesn't mean that you're going to submit your reason to that hunger, but you just kind of get a really sharp hunger that pops up and you need to take, tell your will to kind of simmer it down a bit. So yeah, uh, human nature as such uh, has concupiscence and this flows from the fact that we are body soul composites. Okay. So I've heard some Roman Catholics go against theosis, but I've seen it in the dogmas of the Roman church before. Why isn't it stressed and promoted? It is stressed and promoted. Uh, that is that is completely um, a misunderstanding. If you read the Summa, for example, in the uh, in the tract on grace, it frequently talks and uses theosis like language. Uh, if you read Father Lagrange's works, uh, he he definitely uh, firmly is in uh, it speaks of theosis. Almost everybody uh, in their tract on grace will speak on theosis. It's just a bunch of uh, spurgy, uh, idiotic, uh, online, uh, Romans probably who are saying things like that. Let me see. Yeah. And then best work, Roman Catholic theosis. Thank you for letting me mention this a second time, but Woodbury sanctifying grace. It does, uh, mention, uh, theosis pretty well. It actually starts out with a nice description of what nature is. So we understand, um, Ah, enjoying this sample. Dang it. Dang you. Okay. Contents. Yeah. So we start out talking about uh, nature, God, everything. Then a humanized tree stage in the humanization of a tree stage in the divinization of man, life of faith, life of glory. Yeah. He, he draws a, uh, a, an analogy between the humanizing of a tree and then the divinizing of a man. And it's, uh, it's interesting. I really like it. What do you mean uh, by theology of uh, a problem of induction? I don't read much modern philosophy. I don't really care for it. But if you're talking about like the issue of like um, complete versus incomplete induction and how incomplete induction can. Like, I actually. Um, okay. What do you think of theology of the body? I, I, I don't think much about it. Um, I, I I read like the first half of theology of the body, and I got a bit um, a bit bored, actually, and I I never picked it back up. But I didn't really do a critical think through of it. Okay, so are there any fields of theology that laymen shouldn't study? This is a good question. Okay, I I actually can think of one. So there are certain areas of moral theology that shouldn't be studied. So I know um, that actually in certain moral theology textbooks that were translated through the 20th century into English for educated lay audiences, because they knew that priests would also use these. They knew they had to include certain sections in there. But what they also did is they also uh, just left it in Latin so laymen couldn't read it. And certain uh, very sensitive issues uh, when it comes to um, certain sins that are uh, particularly egregious. Like the, I, I think in 
the Proust um, moral theology, the section, I'm trying to remember what section it was on that wasn't translated. I think it was the one on sodomy uh, was left in Latin. Okay, so what is the Thomistic definition of the truth? So truth for a Thomist is going to be that aspect of being which is related to the intellect. So really for, for Thomists, when it comes to being and then also goodness and beauty, there is a sort of mutuality that the, the world outside and our intellect, rather than everything being in our intellect, rather than everything being outside of our intellect, and we are just completely, um, completely useless sort of observers, uh, extrinsic observers uh, to the world, there's actually sort of a mutual dependence. Uh, it, it's kind of like how you would think of the... How do, how do I put this? It's like how you would think of like a painting. Like if you have this like very beautiful painting that's up and you take it and you shove it in a closet. Well, is it is it a beautiful painting? Well, kind of. But what it really needs is there needs to be an observer that's enjoying the beauty of this painting. There needs to be a certain mutuality between somebody who is an observer and then the thing observed in order to actualize um, a, a sort of true notion of beauty. And it's the same way with truth uh, for the Thomist is there is a, uh, there, there is a truth is a relation of being to, to a faculty. Truth isn't something which we can just go out and grab in the world. Like I can't say, well, this, uh, this thing is truth right here. No, it's, it's this in relation to uh, a certain thinking intellect that uh, is, is truth. Um, and in that way, it is relative, but not in the way that uh, the the cringe postmoderns will talk about it. What is the silver bullet to Eastern Orthodox theology? Um, Council of Florence, hundred percent. If you read, if you just read about the Council of Florence, I don't, I don't know how anybody could go away from the Council of Florence saying like, whoa. Like the the East the Greeks were absolutely correct on this one. They definitely didn't get like their butts kicked for for a very long time, and then finally realized they're wrong, and then in their hubris, completely turned back on it. Um. Okay, so you're asking about the. Yeah. I don't think I want to. Will I? Maybe. Thoughts on the body, uh, form, soul distinction. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. Oh, the distinction between form and soul. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I haven't read on this. Okay. I thought you were asking something else. So what do you think about Pope Benedict as a theologian? What I've read of. Pope Benedict kind of just seems like vanilla, moderate, like uh, Nouvelle theology, kind of like not not like extreme, like really cringe, like should be denounced to an ecumenical council stuff. But I, I think the the moderate Nouvelle theology guys can be very helpful um, because they are trying to like Lonergan. He's an example of another one. 
he still has a scholastic edge to him, but he's also like trying to write in the new style. Um, well, I, I certainly, certainly, certainly think that the old style was a trillion times better and the old content was a trillion times better. They did break some grounds on a a few things, being able to explain things a different way. It's it's like the whole like clock is broken clock right twice a day uh, sort of thing. I'm not saying that with Ratzinger. I'm saying that as with the movement as a whole. But when it comes to Ratzinger in particular, I really do appreciate uh, his ability to be conservative and then present things to me in a different way, in a different light that I have not read before. And it, it maybe deepens my understanding uh, to that. <laughs> so wait what i can't remember exactly the name uh the latin name of the of the type of argument that that is but there's actually a a form of indirect argument um and it's usually written in in the logical manuals uh, in their section on on argument but it's it, it's like an argumentum ad not not like ad hominem or anything like that like don't even get me with that cringe uh let me see i know i have a note on it somewhere somewhere on my computer uh, no will you tell me about these indirect oh there it is um Okay, yeah, there it is. Argumentum ad uh, ignorantium. Ignorantium, that's a it's an interesting word. But yeah, basically what it is is you you make your arguments uh very like you you basically you don't care like the about the level of your interlocutor uh you you or interlocutor whatever people pronounce it. But basically, you just make it as like strong and complicated as you possibly could and just throw it on them and just show them that they don't know what they're talking about. And honestly, I think from now on, when I get into debates with the Orthodox on the Filioque or something, I'm just going to like go full like stopgate and start like, well, how um, is the Principium Quo of the Holy Spirit something which is something which is hype, uh, the principium quo of the spiration of the spirit, something which is hypostatic, like you say, rather than something which is essential when that would uh, de facto make three essences in the Trinity because uh, because of the nature of what a principium quo is. And then like stuff like that basically is just like boom, 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 like hardcore uh, arguments from natural reason uh, for the filioque and just, answer all of their objections from the fathers because I know they're not going to be able to answer any of the objections I bring forth from that. And I think that's what Ubi Petrus basically realized is uh, when he watched my response to David Erhan, he realized that he wasn't going to be, he, he, he wasn't going to be able to um, survive the debate because I wasn't bringing up what he was normally used to. So yeah, Erhan is, uh, not Erhan, uh, Ubi is, he just kind of chickened out because of that. <laughs> Argumentum ad menium, argument from the other guy being a jerk. And what I noticed is when I was reading uh, all of these indirect arguments, 
almost all of them now are considered to be melodical fallacy like argumentum ad hominem like that used to be an actual like legitimate uh indirect argument to make against somebody's principles is that you show how they are uh, inconsistent either in belief or action with the with the argument they're given so like yeah an argumentum ad hominem is actually an okay argument and now it's like melodical fallacy like shut up nerd Theistic evolution is cringe. Will not be commenting, but yes. Uh, why do you think people want to in, uh, instigate conflict between you and Michael Lofton? Obviously, it is stupid to burn bridges. I have no idea. Um, I don't know. I just wish Michael would have uh, would have at least tried to talk to me or something. Because he like we we actually used to used to occasionally uh, talk in private. Uh, I was on his show. He was on my show. Uh, and then, like, he just completely cut off. Uh, I, I probably had to do with um, there's a lot of people in my Discord that don't like Michael Lofton, and that's whatever. I'm not gonna police you like that. And um, and obviously, I'm critical of some of the things that he believes because I'm a pretty hardcore Latin scholastic and he's Eastern Catholic. So we're not gonna see eye to eye on a lot of things, but that doesn't mean like enemies until death. So I think it is like a lot of uh, people speaking into his ear about. Um, about what they perceive at least uh, that I view about Michael. And then also like not being able to um, really take a meme, which I I didn't know if I knew he was going to respond like that. I never would have posted it. Um, But yeah. So yeah, I think it is. I think it is stupid that people are doing that. And if you're doing that, you're cringe and gay. You know, I want to read. What I want to what I want to do is I, I need I need to read a um, a book on the Council of Florence, uh, or at least a few books actually. Just get get my Council of Florence knowledge up because I think honestly that the Council of Florence is the silver bullet. So I might I might do like a series on the history of the Council of Florence, and I think anybody definitively if you just if you just hear what happened at Florence, like I think it's impossible. Just be like. Yeah, the the Orthodox, that is a perfectly reasonable belief we could have. Like, no, not at all. Um, And then this is uh, from Scolarius. I know that you, O Greeks, in matters of this sort, have no confidence in proofs from reason, but consider them suspect and misleading. Is there... <laughs> yeah, they lose the debate, come to agreement with Rome, and then go home and say they were heretics. Yeah, that's basically what happened. Uh, e. Michael Jones's degenerate moderns is exhibit A, why ad hominem is nonsense. Exactly. Like all of these various forms of argument, like there's another um, there's another uh, logical fallacy about, I think it's, what is it, an argumentum ad populum? Yeah, they say it's the the uh, the ad populum uh, argument. Um, here's an example of the ad populum um, argument. The ad populum argument. Uh, Trump won the election. You should get on board and support our next president. And they actually spelled it Trump. Um, and then how to prove somebody wrong. 
Nazis won in the German federal election of 1933, and there was enough public support in Germany to allow the Holocaust to be perpetual. Just because somebody wins an election does not mean he or she deserves support. So true. So real. Wow. This is real. No. Actually, uh, saying that everybody believes something means that it's a precept of common sense. Not that, like, my, actually, uh, it's a logical fallacy. Like, when it comes to the election of, like, bad people, like, that is explained by other factors. Like, maybe the fact that everybody's a degenerate or an idiot or something like that. You can make a video series about Florence. By the way, when will the next St. Pius the Tenth video be, or is it finished? I think I'm finished with it. Because I think I got to an appropriate stopping point. Uh... And I mean, I could do more videos in the future if I want to do like another, like, I don't know, five video special or something talking about certain aspects of his papacy. I could just like add on to the series I already did. But for now, um, I kind of went through all I wanted to go through uh, with him. The only real fallacies are formal fallacies. For informal fallacies, just explain the error in normal speech instead of name-dropping Latin incantations like a pen, pendant. Yeah, pedant, pedant. Did you spell that wrong? Oh, I've, all, I've, I've never heard it used as just pendant. I've heard pedantic. Wow. That is, that is interesting. Yeah, uh, with stuff like that, yeah, just. Uh, I find their answers to their. Uh, I find uh, their answers to Catholic objections as standalone rebuttals. When we put together all the objections, at the very least, it's not very cogent. It's uh, if not leading to heretical conclusions. Yeah. So, since I'm not baptized, how does God's grace correspond with my life? Can my sins be forgiven even though I'm still stained with original sin? So, yeah. Um, the, 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 answer, the answer is yes. <laughs> when it comes to, there, there, there's still those, uh, those certain actual graces and a certain uh, infused uh, habitual grace that is occurring uh, in your life. Uh, there, there just isn't that formal completion uh that comes with uh the sort of greater infusion that comes with the sacraments um yeah so i i don't, I don't know how to make it sound more uh i don't know how to make it sound better than that uh, it's kind of just yeah but do you actually i'm not gonna have like a, a sort of weird like conversation like oh answer all my questions while i'm up here and we'll have like a 30 minute conversation through through, uh, through the live chat. I hope that was just enough. Okay. I'll give you guys like 60 seconds. This is like the first time that I've went through every single one of these. Only took me an hour and 15 minutes. Oh, is it okay to listen to Vatican Catholic when it comes to their autistic videos on the Eastern Orthodox? Yes. Yes, please listen to all of them. It is so great. My favorite one is their one on Florence. 
Catholics. I know. Why do they call themselves Vatican Catholic? I still still confused by that. I heard I still want them to make a I heard that there might be a video in works about me. That was the that's the word that I've heard on the streets. That's what I've heard, but I've not gotten confirmation of that. But yeah, their video on uh, the one on Florence. That one's pretty good. Oh, wait, what did you redact? I don't know. I didn't see it. <laughs> the, the quote, Orthodox, unquote, bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Eastern, quote, Orthodoxy, end quote. Eastern, quote, Orthodoxy by, quote, Vatican, quote, Catholic. Yes. Thanks for answering my question. What is your stance on Vatican Catholic? I just watched a video of his about how James White is possessed or something like that. Yes. Honestly, I could watch Vatican Catholic videos all day. I love it. Sometimes when I'm on long trips, my guilty pleasure is like scrolling down and watching Vatican Catholic videos from like five years ago. <laughs> They're so, all of them are so good. The one of Michael Voris, it was, that one was eye opening. The one I wonder if they've done any videos recently. I don't want to. I don't want to miss any of them. I think I'm going to make a channel of just like Vatican, like reviewing Vatican Vatican Catholic videos for people. That'd be so fun. How do they have 118,000 subscribers? Vatican Catholic has more followers than I do. Bishop Stowe and Francis officially endorse LGBT. The dark meaning of John Paul I's beatification. Uh, uh, John 3.5 defined as a dogma at Trent. Francis participates in prayer of evil spirits. Archdiocese of Chicago approves gay marriage. The Bible predicts 70 years without a pope. How many years has it been for them, at least, without a pope? When? We got like three years until their... Uh, their um, their time, you know, that they're saying. Alex Jones, false gospel. Pius IX did not teach salvation outside the church. Pelosi, blah, 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 blah. What morticians are finding will shock you. What is this? Oh, it's only 27 seconds. Let's watch it. <laughs> wait it isn't a rumor that they are making a video about you just one guy from the discord sent them an email asking to do a video about you so true yeah that was uh that was louis bernard he uh but apparently he he knows them so okay what morticians are finding are shocking This is Brother Michael Diamond. There are shocking findings being made by morticians in America. What? You can click the link in the description below to see the video revealing the objects they are finding in the...
why is it loading? Dang it. Will my computer like explode from watching this or something? Dang it. This is frustrating. Wow. It's Vatican Catholic as if the SETIs had SETIs. <laughs> I already watched the, the Alex Jones one. Basically, it was like, it wasn't terrible. Um, the the what what the other guys were saying were like the, basically this Jewish guy. They were like, "Oh my, he's in heaven." Like, yeah, never never say that. And then there was the one guy that was like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna entrust him to uh, to God's mercy. He's going in front of the judgment seat. He denied Christ, so like not not open, but maybe possibly." So yeah, uh, I think the I think the second approach is is more honest. The first approach. It's just wrong. Man. Okay. The questions have dried up, so I will talk to you guys later.